0: I invite you to take a Bible and to open it to Psalm 42, where the song that we just sang uh, was written and inspired by this uh, psalm. So when the praise team sent me that song this week and they said, you know, would you like this done before or after the sermon? I was like, could we just do that instead of the sermon? Like, could we just sing the song, pause, pray, Sing it again, maybe have a time of prayer again, and then sing it again like it it is appropriate. So I was glad when they were willing to do it before and after so that we can sing it again. Uh, But this is where it comes from, Psalm 42. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, and therefore I remember you. From the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar, deep calls to deep. At the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands a steadfast love, and at night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taught me. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And that concludes Psalm 42. It's clear, hopefully to you, that the psalmist is going through an incredibly challenging time. There's a few clues within the psalm of what that might include in his life and what's adding to the weight of those challenges. But the way the psalm opens is a recognition of, on the part of the psalmist that in all of the difficulty and challenges that he's experiencing, the prayer that he wants answered the most and the need that he has the greatest to be filled is to sense anew the presence of God with him. That he's he's thirsty and longing for intimacy with God. There are many other things going on and many other things that could be uh, changed and adjusted. But he recognizes uh, in a way that uh, Jesus would then teach in the, the Sermon on the Mount that if we seek first the kingdom of God, then all the other things will be added to that. And he's gotten to that place where his deepest longing is to say, what, what I need the most and want the most, God, is you. And so he says, my soul thirsts for God. And even his ability to, to recognize that in spite of everything he's going through, though none of us like to feel thirsty. And if you're feeling thirsty right now, we have a drinking fountain, we have coffee in the back, you can grab something that's not a position most of us would describe in a, in a healthy way. It's not good to be thirsty. But it's, it's an evidence of grace in his life that he realizes that in that experience of thirst and that longing for something, what he's thirsting for the most is for God, for the refreshment that comes by being in his presence because it's God who made us and we were made to have an intimacy with him, a relationship with him, that when God created Adam and Eve and put them in the garden, there was nothing that disrupted their fellowship with one another. And it was because of rebellion and sin entering into the world that now there's a sense of separation and a sense of distance. And all of us feel that distance. But not all of us recognize that what that distance is primarily pointing to is that we need God. Because the world presents us many, many other alternatives that we could come up with. We feel lonely and so we think, if I just... Uh, got into a relationship with someone, I would be happy. And then we can be in a relationship with someone and think, well, if I just had children, then maybe I could be happy. Or we're in school and we might think, if I could just get out of school and get into my career, then I would be happy. Or in my career, if I could just reach this certain uh, status within it or this certain sense of financial stability or security, then I would be happy. Because deep down, all of us know that we need something more, something additional, something stronger to hold onto. And there's nothing wrong with desiring a relationship. There's nothing wrong with desiring a family or that our education would manifest itself in a career. Whatever it is, those things aren't bad. But what this psalmist has come to recognize is that behind all of those is actually ultimately our need to be reconciled with God. That he has made us in his image. And as many Christians have observed along the way, and it's a a phrase uh, by an early church father, Augustine, who said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Anything else that we seek to sort of satisfy the thirst and the longings that are in our hearts can satisfy them only for so long and only for so much. They're a temporary fix. And so when we finally realize that we go from restlessness to restlessness, it's meant to be an act of grace in our own heart to say, maybe God, maybe I am wanting something more and longing for something greater. And when we recognize that what we ultimately long for and desire is God himself, then uh, we realize that he's working on our hearts from the inside out to help us to see that so that we don't get stuck constantly pursuing things that will never satisfy. Instead, we can finally fix our attention on the only thing that will satisfy. Uh, This is in a book called 10 Questions to Diagnose Your Spiritual Health by Donald Whitney. This is one of those books that when I first read it, I thought, This would be a good book to reread every couple of years because it's just sort of diagnostic questions um, to assess how well we're doing in our spiritual life. And the first question is, do you thirst for God? Um, But this is uh, something that he says, the reason a person thirsts for God is because the Holy Spirit is at work within him. And then he goes on to quote uh, Charles Spurgeon, reflecting on Psalm 42. When a man pants after God, It is a secret life within him that makes him do it. He would not long after God by nature. No man thirsts for God while he's left in his carnal and unconverted state. The unrenewed person pants for anything sooner than God. It proves a renewed nature when you long after God. It is a work of grace in your soul and you may be thankful for it. And then Donald goes on to reflect, God does not ignite within us a thirst for himself in order to frustrate us. God creates a thirst for himself so that he can satisfy it with himself. And so that's an act of God's grace that we would choose the soonest possible uh, option um, to just satisfy the most immediate need. And it's a work of God's grace in our own hearts to actually draw us beyond what is the most immediate option for satisfaction? And to say, no, I think what I really need the most is God himself. And then with God and with him refreshing me, with living water, I then would have what I need for all of the other things I'm going through and all of the other things that I'm facing. And so though thirst is painful and none of us want to experience it, the psalmist here is revealing to us uh, the ways in which even though he's grieving primarily, he's grieving as a person of faith, recognizing that it's God ultimately that he longs for. And the next thing he says very clearly is not only does he thirst for God, but he's honest to say, my soul is cast down within me. He's incredibly discouraged. So he says my soul thirsts for God, but he's also honest to say my soul is cast down within me. He's experiencing depression, a sense of despair. He's, he's having a really bad day and he's down. And there's a few things that indicate why that might be. Uh, the title of the Psalm indicates that this is a Psalm of the sons of Korah. And these were a group within the tribe of Levi that were responsible uh, for some of the music within the tabernacle and the temple. That in the gathered worship, eventually they had a responsibility to lead people in the praise of God. And, and the psalmist even then describes that. He, he thinks back on, man, there were those times when we were together and there was glad shouts of joy. And there was a, a multitude who were singing. And so what we pick up then is that that's not what he's going through right now. He's probably very, very far away from the temple that he's now isolated from the community in which he would have primarily had the job and the responsibility to lead people in song and in worship. So very likely this is a person who's exiled very far away now from the land of Israel. And so for him, everything he's trained to do and the songs that he's trained to sing and the people that he's meant to gather together and worship, he's separated from all of them. And so he's discouraged, much in the same way in Psalm 137 you read there specifically where the psalmist, it says, is sitting by the rivers of Babylon. And there by the rivers in Babylon, people are coming to them and saying, hey, why don't you sing us one of those songs of Zion? And the psalmist is just honest to say, I I can't, (laughs) it's hard to sing those songs while this is what I'm going through, while I'm many, many miles away and not within the promised land. And so for the sons of Korah, the the leaders of worship for the nation of Israel to be now far away from Israel and far away from the public worship of God, far away from the temple, he's just being honest that he's down. And so this isn't only some, though he's describing what he's feeling on the inside, this is very much shaped by the environment that he's in. He's not at home. He's not where he wants to be. And and we all experience that at times as well. We can, we can be in places that start to make us feel more and more uncomfortable. Or we long to be in places that help us feel like we can be more relaxed and just be ourselves and just be at home and rest. We prefer that. Uh, one of our children is, is a, we call him a homebody. He just likes to be home and... So a Saturday is just an amazing experience when there's this usually a sense of we can be home longer. We don't have to get up and get dressed sooner or things like that. And even if we go places that he enjoys, there's a sense of like, when can we get back home? Because there's just, man, it's so nice to be at home and stay in your pajamas for a long period of time. You can just tell it affects like the emotional well-being of him. And so it's a little think a little over a year ago now but all of a sudden it was a Saturday and Amy and I came out of our rooms and now I have a suit on and she has a dress on and I'm getting dressed and ready and it's a Saturday and he just looks at us like what, what are you doing? And I said oh well, Alma's about to come over mommy and daddy are going to go for a wedding and he goes well that's one way to ruin a Saturday <laughs> I said oh I'm going to remember that you said that and if the Lord grants me the opportunity in the future, I will tell you that you said this at one point in time in your future. But for him, this idea that you would disrupt the, the joy and the simplicity, the relaxed nature of being at home for anything, like why would you, why would you do that to yourself? And here, this, the psalmist to, to such a, a greater degree is trained to do something that he doesn't have the freedom to do is ready to lead people in a song that he looks out and most of the people would have no idea how to sing it. And so he's down, he's discouraged. His soul is cast down within him. And these cries are coming out simultaneously. It's not one or the other. Uh, It's possible to thirst for God and to have your soul cast down within you. And in fact, these Not only is it possible that they go together, they're causing each other here. It's his longing for God that has him longing to be back with God's people, back in the promised land, back leading them in the songs and shouts of praise. He wants to be in that area that is familiar, not just so that he could be more comfortable, but so that he could do freely what they were trained to do to honor God in this way. And so none of this even discouragement, depression, or despair comes from a lack of faith. It comes from inside a genuine love and a desire to be able to do the things that God had created him to do. And so many of us struggle to recognize that in our lives, that we think, well, no, if you have faith in God, you're just not gonna get really discouraged. You'll never struggle with depression. You'll never get sad. Whereas more often than not, sadness comes in our lives, not because we don't believe in him, but because we really do care about him and care about the people or the circumstances that he's put into our lives. If you love your kids, you will be really cast down within your own soul when you see them suffer and walk through hard times, or you see them make bad decisions and you wonder what's gonna happen to them. If you care about humanity, you grieve in your own heart and your soul is cast down within you when you see the outbreak of terrorism and violence. That It's not because you don't believe in God, it's because you do believe in God and you believe in what he said about the sacredness of human life and the responsibility we have to protect it at all stages of life that causes you to grieve at times and to be cast down within your own soul when you see that so much the dishonors God is happening around you. If you read through the Gospel of John, one of the phrases that John uses about Jesus is that his soul multiple times became greatly troubled. What an amazing phrase to use to describe our own Savior. That as he got closer and closer to the cross, that his own soul became troubled. Because as a holy God and as the holy one sent from the Father, how could it not grieve his own heart to see the sin around him? How could it not grieve his own heart to see so many of his people reject him? And he knew what they were going to do when they themselves didn't even know how far they would take their sin against him. And he knew it. And so his soul was troubled because of it not because he didn't believe in his father or believe in his father's plan, but there was still a time in the Garden of Gethsemane when in prayer with his father, sweating drops of blood, he prayed to his father if there's any other way. Can we do this any other way? And if not, then your will be done. Let's do it the one way it has to be done. But that's the type of prayer offered by somebody who is troubled at times with what is before them because he understood the seriousness of it, um, the depth of sin and rebellion that was going to be taking place uh, by the Roman authorities and also by the Pharisees and the Sadducees against him. And so we need to acknowledge in our lives that we thirst for God more than anything, that even while we believe in him, there are so many things that can come into our lives that bring us down. I mean, eventually it's powerful in verse seven when he says, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. There are those things that cause us to be downcast that are so deep we can't even find the appropriate words for them. We we know that if we tried to tell the person next to us what we were going through, we'd start crying and be unable to speak before we could even say everything that we wanted to say. That's what's being alluded to here. There's this depth of pain that's possible for us as human beings to experience that we don't even have adequate words for. And even in the New Testament, there's an acknowledgement of that. I invite you to open your Bible to Romans chapter eight where the Apostle Paul talks about how the Holy Spirit helps us when we go through things that are too deep for words. This is Romans chapter eight. And we're just gonna read a few verses in 26 and 27. Now, we need this promise because life often brings things into our path that have this level of pain or hurt or confusion and mystery about them. And so it is a great promise that the Holy Spirit is not limited even by our words as we go through various things in life. That when deep calls out to deep in the language of Psalm 42, it is no limitation for the Holy Spirit. To say, I know why you're crying. And I know what your tears are saying. And right? the psalmist says, I'm thirsting for living water, but the only water that I'm experiencing are my tears day and night. And to know that God, through his Holy Spirit, understands what every one of those tears is also communicating. What every one of our groans and cries is sharing Uh, we can be thankful that God knows them. And we can be thankful that the psalmist, in in recognizing that and being able to be honest about that, also then can turn and talk to himself in positive self-talk and say to himself a few times in verse 5 and then again in verse 11, Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And so we see that what our souls also need is hope in God's future work. We need to recognize that God is who we ultimately need. We need to be honest about the times when we are down and discouraged. And all of us need hope to get through the challenges that we face. Even if that hope is not immediate, that everything is going to get better today, we still need something to look forward to and to have confidence in that helps us with however many days we might go through what it is that we're going to go through. We can live without a lot of things, but I don't think you can live very long without hope. And even the authors of this psalm, there's a bit of their own history that gives them reasons to remind themselves of having hope in God and trusting in him If you've ever read about Korah's rebellion, it's, it's a dark moment in the days of Moses when Korah, another son of Levi, rebels against Moses. So much so that you wouldn't really want to walk around too much and say, I'm a son of Korah. It wouldn't have had associations like, oh, you're the son of David, like you're the son of the king, sort of that would give you a sense of pride they would have looked back and something very uh, embarrassing and sinful uh, in their past would have taken place. But they also saw over time that God's grace had uh, redeemed the family line, that they were still a part of the Levites, still invited to use their gifts to serve in worship in spite of the sin of their father because they had hope that came from God and not from who their father was. And we need that kind of hope. That we can be honest about the discouragement or despair of whatever it is we're going through or we've experienced or other people have done to us. But we can also have hope that God is not limited and bound by those things. That he can set us free from them. And he can, in the future, restore things that seem broken. Part of our despair and our discouragement is that we can see no way out. But we are not the ones who give life, and so we are not the ones who give new life, and we are not the ones who give eternal life. But therefore, the psalmist is saying, I want to put my hope in God because he's the one who gives life. He's the one who can restore it, and he's the one who promises that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And he is the one who promises that everything that had been done wrong will be made right. Who else would you want to put your hope in? Who else could make a promise like that than God himself? And when you come to realize that nobody else could make a promise like that and keep it except God himself, you go back to the beginning and you say, Okay, my soul really does thirst and long for God himself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and its truth. We thank you that even in our lives when deep is calling out to deep and we're walking through groanings that are too deep for words, where even for most of us, even in this week, just reading the news or watching it on TV has revealed things that we've had to turn it off because we don't even have the capacity to to see wickedness in its fullness. And you see our limitations. You see our sadness at those things. And um, Father, we pray that you would help us not to turn and live in despair or sadness, but to look up to you <clears throat> and to find the hope that only you can give to each and every one of us. We thank you that your son was troubled in his own soul for each and every one of us, that he was willing to suffer for us, and we thank you that your Holy Spirit is able to intercede for us for the groanings that are too deep for words. And we just pray that you would Help us to not settle for anything less than you but to give our our pursuits and our hearts fully to you to experience first your kingdom and trust that you will take care of everything else. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.